In a world where every second, every day, thousands if not millions of hours of content are being uploaded online for your consumption, it can be a bit hard to filter through what's worth checking out and what's not, even with automated recommendation programs in place. Luckily, this show is here to help find what content will, hopefully, spark joy in you. Hello, my name is Paulo, your human algorithm host, and this is the podcast where I bring you content creators that I have deemed worthy of being recommended for you. In case this is your first time listening, the premise of the show is simple. As someone who has perhaps a few too many YouTube channels and podcasts I'm subscribed to, over a thousand channels and a hundred podcasts when the show started, I clearly can't keep up with everything coming out. Some of these creators I'm subscribed to may have shifted their focus from what I originally subscribed to them for, or even stopped uploading altogether. Other times, the content recommendation algorithm may just bury their content for whatever reason. In an effort to digitally declutter, I'm pulling a Marie Kondo and going through all my subscriptions to find which ones still spark joy, and I feel figured in the process, why not share which, with whomever may care to listen which content creators are, or for the inactive ones at one point were, making cool stuff worth sharing. Over on Twitter at rex Pod, each weekday I share one creator worth following, and then on the weekends I do a bit of a deeper dive into why these shows work and what their best pieces of content to start with are, as well as any other ways you can support them. In short, as a human algorithm, I present some content creators recommended for you. This week's theme of for creators who I'm recommending, recommending for you are independent food creators. Now, while I could probably do a whole month's worth straight of food content creators online, uh, ranging from those backed by various corporations and publications to those more focused on a specific cuisine to those focused more on the science of food, um, here I want to focus on content creators who are more or less independent. Not necessarily one-man shows. Um, these guys tend to actually have production quality that suggests that they have more than one person uh, working on it, but they still have that feel of coming from individuals who truly love food so much that they just could not help but start their own cooking show instead of waiting for the Food Network to give them a call. While some of these I've been following for years, I definitely noticed that over the last year's pandemic, food creators have definitely been on the upswing. After all, people still need to eat, they had more time to try recipes at home after being locked down, and without else much in the way of non-streaming entertainment or being able to eat out, uh, you know, Nowadays, you can find me having one of these guys on in the background just for ambient noise while I work. Not to say that they've been reduced to only white noise for me, uh, even though lately I'm trying to lose weight and sticking to mostly just you know chicken and rice, chicken ba- made in the air fryer. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why these creators stand out as some of the best indie food creators out there. So let's hop in, shall we? First up, we have Binging with Babis, currently known as the Babis Culinary Universe. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling, tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Ignoring three unrelated videos on the channel from before he started in earnest, Bitsing with Babist, hosted and produced by Andrew Rea, uh, started in February 2016 where he uploaded a step-by-step recreation of the Park and Rex Burger Cook-Off from his New York apartment kitchen. Hey Reddit Food, this is Oliver Babish. I am a filmmaker, wannabe chef, and like you, I've always wondered, what does the food in film and television actually taste like? I'm here to answer some of those questions today. Today we're making Chris Traeger's East Meets West patented Traeger Turkey Burger. So Andrew's whole thing is that he recreates foods from various films and TV shows. Now, food is a very human thing. After all, we all need it to live, so there's no surprise that TV and film writers include food scenes as part of their characterization and storytelling about humans, and I guess non-humans as well. So there's no shortage of food scenes for him to recreate, especially when they are styled to be as appetizing as possible on screen, uh, for the most part anyway. 
In fact, Reyes channel name comes from a character from West Wing, Oliver Babis, uh, which I may accidentally end up referring to him as Babis in this episode, since that's kind of how I think of him as my head. Uh, anyway, there is a certain pleasure in seeing certain fictional things we have an emotional attachment to come to life. Uh, you know, see the appeal of cosplay or model building, for example. So it's no surprise that Babis's channel grew at a fairly decent clip, with his weekly episodes really kicking into high gear when he created the Moist Maker from Friends. Now, part of what makes this series work is that there's a certain familiarity in the format as well as in the content of the food that we're seeing on screen. Andrew's Roman Mars-esque voiceover with the occasional deadpan joke thrown in, uh, usually self-deprecating, self poking fun at any mistakes he might make in the process, which, you know, I appreciate he doesn't kind of edit those out. He, he sews when he makes a mistake in the process. Uh, combined with a camera focused on the countertop and hands cutting off, of his, cutting off his face out of the screen, as opposed to a more traditional Food Network-style angle where the focus is more on the host and less on the food, uh, that's something that you can rely on week after week. On top of that, it's been a delight to see him grow as a home cook over the years in terms of technique and ambition, as well as the variety of ingredients he starts to play around with. After all, he started off as a visual effects artist and not working in the food industry. I can't say currently his show is fully accessible to a home cook since he's gotten into some more advanced equipment not everyone may have, but often those come about when he's trying to embody the spirit of the recipe as opposed to you know a, a, a pure, fully faithful adaptation of it. So for example, he recently created uh, the Sloppy Steaks from a sketch comedy show I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson that basically is a steak splashed with water. Uh, he did recreate that technically for completion's sake, but that took all of two minutes. Uh, for the rest of the episode, he actually created an elevated A5 Wagyu ribeye steak cooked with a traditional, on a traditional Japanese charcoal grill plated on a, with wasabi paste, black garlic, edible gold, lotus root crisp, and dashi broth to keep it in the spirit of sloppy steak for sit bags. Now, obviously, you start cooking for a living. Babis, you know, ended up quitting his full-time job as a visual effects artist before starting a Patreon and making ten thousand a month through that. Um, you start to kind of getting kind of good, uh, sort of good at cooking, you know, the ten thousand hours thing and all that. In fact, he actually released two cookbooks at this point, mostly focused again on recipes uh, based off of film and TV recreations. He's also started a secondary series called Basics with Babis in twenty seventeen that focuses primarily on how to create the recipes that are a bit more uh, from a home. Uh, friendly perspective without being confined to a particular theme or having to be from a f uh, film or TV series. Uh, aside from a few Kitchen Life episodes, like such as Kitchen Tools or Pantry Essentials, uh, he's covered topics from basic sauces to how to cook steaks, pasta, chicken, eggs, bread, to more ambitious things like Thanksgiving basics, picnic basics, grilling, one-pan meals, various ethnic cuisines, and more. Sometimes he'll bring on an expert for specific cuisines as well. At this point, there were about 120 or so basics with Babbage episodes that you could dive into for your next weeknight meal. I'm very honored to be in your kitchen today and can't wait to start making some delicious meals with you. Now, let's get down to basics. In addition to his main show and basics with Babis, he has a couple of others as well. One isn't quite food-related as directly, but being with Babis is where Andrew does his best Queer Eye Extreme Makeover Make-A-Wisp PricewaterhouseCoopers impersonation, uh, where he tries to pay for the success he's found from strangers on the internet, enabling his current lifestyle with various feel-good episodes paying it forward. Uh, the first episode, for example, was him giving, him giving back to a fan of his show who was going through a rough time uh, in his life between a Vespa accident, some heart problems, and having to pawn his laptop 
laptop. Um, after Cook meeting up with his fan in his home in Orlando, he gave his fan a new MacBook, a new Vespa, and an annual pass to Disneyland World, for example. Well, it's been a while since the last Being With Babbitt's episode, due to him not being able to meet up with those, his fans in person, because uh, you know the pandemic, uh, he apparently is currently taking nominations for fans to help out. Now, going back to this more cooking-related series, uh, he also has an evil twin counterpart to Binging with Babbis called Botched with Babbis, uh, where basically he revisits recipes that went poorly or more likely were heavily critiqued. Uh, for example, Canadians are very particular when it comes to their poutine, uh, and Italians are very particular about their, their pasta, particularly cacio e pepe. pepe. Um, now, this one is a little bit more loose and humorous with a lot more self-deprecating humor jokes than normal, uh, and of the two episodes so far, so far, both have featured a guest to help him out uh, unbots uh, his episodes. Um, and then finally, with the exodus of Bone Appetite's Test Kitchen, Babis expanded his own show to the current title of the channel, The Babis Culinary Universe, with two shows from Test Kitchen alumni. Uh, the first, Stumped with Sola, features Sola L. Whaley, uh, who uses her creativity to beat challenges such as making a seven-course meal out of convenience store food, or making brunch with only one hand, or Thanksgiving for astronauts. Um, there's currently one season of the show produced, and we don't really know if there'll be more since Solo is busy with other things. Um, he also has a show with Test Kitchen alum Rick Martinez called uh, Pueblo, which is uh, Spanish for Try It, try it um, with, where Rick travels around Mexico to showcase different local cuisines a la travel food show. Um, and then there's a series, I'm not sure it's an actual series, um, but Alvin Zoe from BuzzFeed's food, taste, food channel Tasty has shown up in a few anime-themed episodes with his latest being called Anime with Alvin. Um, I'm not, we're not sure if this is actually a full-on series or just Alvin coming in for anime-related episodes moving forward, but I'm all about having a dedicated anime, so being a bit of an anime fan myself. As far as where to start with this show, there are over 430 videos currently uploaded. Obviously, you could start looking up if your favorite TV show or food uh, to see if, uh, in, in the search bar to see if he's done a video for them. Uh, he also has playlists on different themes. Uh, expensive versus cheap, carnivorous and vegetarian, easy and difficult, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert. Uh, for specific episodes, though, from his normal series, I really enjoyed his Rick and Morty Szechuan Sauce episode. If you remember a few years back, everyone was going crazy for the McDonald's promotion, and he actually ended up recreating the sauce in three different versions, one authentically from, from, from the Chinese province of Szechuan, uh, one from an online recipe from Reddit, and then one from a combined McDonald's sauces, which is how he thought he, uh, it, the sauces were actually made in, in store. Hey, what's up, guys, and welcome back to Binging with Babish, where this week we have an internet emergency. Everybody's freaking out about a sauce that has been discontinued for 20 years. Obviously, I have no idea what this tastes like, but I'm going to take my best crack at it, starting with actual Szechuan sauce. You know, like what they eat in Szechuan. Now, I also would recommend checking out his episode on lava cakes from the movie Chef. Um, partly because he's joined with director John Favreau and Chef Ward Choi from the film. He's had John Favreau for a few times, including Mandalorian episode as well. Um, it kind of shows, you know, how far he's come to, to see, um, you know, from just doing it on his own, to, you know, getting the directors at, you know, uh, the director of one of his favorite cooking films uh, to cook with him. Um, he even ended up getting the carving fork prop from the film to take home at the end of the video, which was, you know, pretty heartwarming at, at that point. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Binging with Babish, where this week we're taking a look at the reviled lava cake from Chef. Now, lava cake is actually pretty awesome. Oh my god, you guys, look who it is. It's Roy Choi and Chef Carl Casper from the movie here to teach me how to make it. Well, hold on. I'm, not, I'm actually John Favreau. I'm not Carl Casper. It's just a character. I so, Carl, why did you dislike the, the lava Carl. cake so much? Carl? I'm John. Carl? There's wow. the fork. And, and you know what? Here's a gift for you. No way. Are yes, you kidding the me? Fork from the movie. Holy yeah. shit. 
On top of the aforementioned episodes, Patreon, and cookbooks, Babis also has a cookware lineup uh, that line that you can check out on Amazon. They're honestly pretty affordable, uh, including the famous Tiny Whisk. Uh, whoever you choose to support, however you choose to support them, though, hopefully if you end up making something based on these episodes, they end up delicious and in part of the Clean Plate Club. Next up, we have someone who has really blown up the past year or so, Joshua Weisman. So, you want to learn how to make a sourdough starter from scratch. You came to the right place. So Josh has a pretty interesting story. Uh, he started YouTube on 2014, uh, about seven years ago at this point, when he was 17. Yes, that's right, he's only 24 right now, which is crazy given how successful he is. Uh, he started cooking from a young age thanks to his mom. Uh, in his teenage years, he ended up developing some eating habits that led him being a bit overweight. Uh, he discovered the paleo diet and ended up losing 100 pounds and writing a cookbook about it, the Slim Palette Paleo Cookbook, which was his first video on YouTube. Uh, now, you know... Uh, now, he ended up, you know, after kind of leaving the paleo community, he ended up actually going to work uh, for a number of restaurants in the food industry, uh, ending up at Uchiko in Austin, Texas. Um, in his spare time, you know, on the weekends, he would make a number of cooking videos for his channel, nothing particularly stand out in format or presentation, uh, aside from the dozens of other YouTube cooks out there, to be quite honest. Now, that being said, you know, this obviously was him just starting out in his spare time, and he stuck with it, and, you know, he ended up finding his own needs and elements that, you know, would start getting more incorporated. For example, you know, each video starts off with him opening a cabinet and speaking to us the audience uh, hidden in there and then he also includes when he's giving us the recipe uh, precise ingredient measurements in both imperial and metric units which you know helps with accessibility now some of these early videos ended up hitting it big uh, which I would imagine be later on and not as he uploaded them uh, for example he has one of his most viewed videos is a sourdough starter guide with 5.4 million views uh, when around those when the, the, the other videos around it in the in the release timeline have less than a million views each. Um, he also has a knife sharpening guide at 4 million, a cast iron maintenance guide at 5 million, and a croissant video at 7.5 million. So these videos were all pre-100,000 subscribers, when, which he finally crossed in February 2019 um, at about the 70 video mark. Uh, and again, a sam with semi-regular semi -regular uploading over you know full two years at that point. Um, Josh actually ended up quitting his restaurant job later that summer due to going to his YouTube success, which at that point he was about 300,000 subscribers. I announced that I had left this restaurant after being there for over two years and honestly I've I've dealt with a lot of shit in my life personally although like a really intense stressful environment offered me a group of people that like taught me how to fucking push through the fucking shit the right way probably one of the hardest decisions I've ever made to have to leave this place but I also knew that I needed to in order to grow and be because I because of you guys because I mean, it sounds like I'm blaming you, but because of you guys, in terms of like this YouTube channel, it's like. Josh would have pretty good time in quitting his job and going into YouTube full-time because later in November that year, he would have his first real viral video in making the Popeye's uh, chicken sandwich at home, but better. So if you remember that summer, you know, in 2019, Popeye's chicken were all the crazy when they released in August. Uh, so, you know, obviously a couple months later, he took his time and ended up making a recipe that, that you know, kind of recreated it, kind of similar to what Babbis does, honestly. Um, and, you know, so basically if you look at it, right, prior, the week prior, he was having, according to Social Blade, he has had less than nine hundred thousand weekly views um but then the week this episode came out he had about 4.7 million views so yes that is right arrival v rival i'm just kidding we're not rivals this is not an, a sponsored post this is not endorsed by popeyes or anything like that this is just really a remake of what i think could make it better 
That should take care of the legal stuff, right? I really hope that I don't get sued. God, I'm nervous now. I'm like sweating. Jesus. I love pitting myself an individual up against corporations. Am I right? Joking, please lawyers, please, I'm begging you. Let's just cut the chatter and let's figure out how to make this, shall we? This success with you propel him to a million subscribers a few months later in February 2020, but then, you know, things are about to get a lot crazier for Mr. Josser Wiseman. Uh, as I mentioned in the intro of this episode, you know, there was not a lot of form of entertainment and lockdown or options for eating out. People turned to YouTube on how to cook at home. And, you know, over the past year and a half, due to his, you know, entertaining style of teaching people how to cook, uh, Joss had gone from about a million subscribers to nearly 5 million, thanks in no small part to his super consistent upload schedule, putting him at over 300 videos at this point on his channel. Now, that's not to say he's being bored by a trend in food YouTube independent uh, from his own hard work that he's put into the channel. Uh, Mr. Weissman has a very particular style of cooking video. So to illustrate, here's a video from 2017 uh, on how to make uh, some kind of lemonade. Josh, today we are going to make a lemonade. No big deal, let's start. So the first thing you're gonna need is about four lemons. And we're just gonna cut those in half. And then here's a video when he got about a million subs uh, in February of 2020, an episode around this time period. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, bro. Valentine's Day is coming up and you haven't even thought about what you're gonna make your significant other, bro. Well, you just came to the right place. Uh, yeah. So there's definitely a lot more energy in his delivery in this latter video, almost to the point of being kind of manic. Uh, you can't see it in the podcast form, obviously, but his editing makes use of quick-cut YouTube-style editing with various filter effects for emphasis that distorts his face. Um, it's not in the, this clip also, but occasionally, sometimes they'll use voice modifiers to deepen his voice on certain words. Um, you know, some people I've shown his videos to call it kind of cringy, but even so, it seems to be resonating for a certain audience. Uh, Wiseman also often refers to himself as Papa and threatens to withhold Papa kiss if uh, the you know audience does something culinarily unwise, such as you know using a colander to wash your rice, or not letting your steak rest, or not seasoning your food. So you know there's definitely an element of entertainment in the show, which again, entertainment and comedy is kind of subjective, but uh, it it is this is still on top of providing actual information on how to cook. Now again, not to say success is completely credited to his Gen Z uh, delivery and sense of humor. Again, having worked in the restaurant industry for a number of years, he clearly has the culinary chops to back up his work. Now compared to Babis, who comes from a more amateur background, Josh definitely aims for a bit more elevated culinary experience in his recipes, being much more prone to recommend taking literally making literally everything from scratch if you can and applying his food industry technique to home cooking. But perhaps it's that gap between quote-unquote serious chef techniques and the teehee zany personality on camera that makes cooking seem that much more approachable and doable for your average home cook. Plus, you know, his B-roll segments at the end of each episode are absolutely gorgeous food porn. Now, one other way his elevated chef sensibilities come into play is his But Better series, which helped kick off his widespread YouTube success again with that Popeye's chicken video that the other sandwich is pretty darn good. The bun is like just too chewy in my opinion. I want it softer and there's like not enough pickle. This one, like there's pickle on in every single bite, which is what you want. You get every component in one bite. All in all, way more flavorful, way juicier because of that dark meat chicken thigh. I think even if this was fresh, it couldn't even get close to as crispy as this. It's a chicken sandwich, you know? If you don't want to make it at home, that's fine. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying that mine is better, okay? 
Here, Josh tackles popular, often fast food items, but making them, well, better. Uh, as with Babis, there's some appeal, again, seeing familiar food, be it from movies or from your favorite restaurant, made at home. At the end of the nearly 50 videos he's made so far, uh, of each of the ne nearly 50 videos he's made so far in this series to date, he has a blind test with the members of his, of his production crew, usually Vikram, uh, to try to see which food it tastes better. And inevitably, the creation usually comes out, his creation comes out to be on top uh, due to superior technique and ingredients. Now, naturally, some may quibble that you know the fast food is designed to you know be fast and you know trying to make the, you know everything from scratch and at home to elevate the food in question often are antithetical to that concept of you know mass-produced food. But hey, it's a form of entertainment just to imagine a good version of a Big Mac, for example. Now, his other main series is, as opposed to but better, but cheaper, kind of the inverse. Steak is probably one of the most expensive things that most people like to buy and eat. So it only felt right for the first episode, the debut episode of But Cheaper, a show where we combine the most expensive version of something and find a way to make that more affordable using classic cooking techniques that could make it taste better than its more expensive counterpart. Now, as he describes it, he basically takes food you could get from restaurants that would cost maybe $15 or $20 plus per serving, tries to make it in for about maybe $1 to $5 per serving on average. Now, if but better is him flexing his chef muscles to the max, you know, elevating common food to a better level, here he appeals to make the more to a more relatable side where, you know, home cooks think they can actually, hey, think, hey, I can probably make that, you know, again, uh, for more affordable, which, again, in the time people are trying to, you know, save money and whatnot, especially with the pandemic, uh, you know, it can come in really helpful. Now, one thing I've noticed in the past few months, he's definitely been expanding his reach into more ethnic cuisine. For example, he recently did an episode on Filipino nationalist adobo, which is braised chicken in soy sauce and vinegar, again, applying a more chef-y take on it. He's also done videos of foods in multiple ways, uh, you know, with a, you know, a traditional American style and then incorporating an international version, such as, you know, Korean corn dog or mochi waffles or tempura onion rings. Now, as far as where to start, you know, for his general cooking videos, one I've perfectly referenced the most is his char siu video, uh, which you know has turned out really great. Can definitely recommend that following this recipe uh, will work out pretty great. This is like the common associated Chinese barbecue pork that everybody knows and loves. Needs no introduction. So with that said, let's make this, shall we? Of his But Cheaper series, I think I've used his $2 stew video more than a couple times where he makes the Korean army stew a uh, jjigae. Josh, I'm a college student. I can't afford this and make that. Well, that's what this stew is for. It has class and history. It costs this much. And it utilizes the dietary composition of a college student. That is... And then for But Better, only because I'm actually using this video this weekend to make some beer-battered fish sandwiches, uh, his McDonald's Flay O Fist But Better video uh, turned out pretty great. Good, not bad, like the other one. The fish is perfectly cooked. It tastes fresh, it's not fishy, it's oceanic as it should be. You've got the acidity from this beautiful tartar sauce, and you've got all those nice herbs and the onion, and of course the fish. That lacy, crispy, beer battery, spiced crunch. I mean, what more could you possibly want? We can't have it bust better, even though we pretty much won. We're gonna taste test this anyway. Now, as far as how else to support Joss, he actually also has a cookbook on freestyle right now, aside from the original paleo cookbook that he wrote when he was 17, uh, which, you know, 
know, cookbooks are going to be a bit of a recurring episode this theme this episode. Now, I know at one point he had merch you could purchase, but I think that's sold out right now. Um, and then, of course, he has all the useful social medias. No Patreon, it seems, though uh, there's a special mention for his Discord, where apparently he was giving away some KitchenAid stand mixers a couple weeks ago. So uh, maybe you want, want to check that out if you're looking for a, for a stand mixer. Now, going back to the theme of cookbooks for a minute, the next creator started their channel to help promote their own cookbook, but that doesn't mean that it's any less authentic. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I present the one and only Claire Saffitz. So this is, this is my book, Dessert Person. Now, many of you likely know who Claire Savage is. I mentioned earlier that Sola and Vic from Bone Appetit Test Kitchen uh, appeared on the Babbitt's Culinary Universe. Claire was one of Test Kitchen's biggest stars, being the host of the wildly popular Gourmet series, where she basically elevated, kind of like Josh does but better, uh, junk food staples to, you know, gastronomical delights. Uh, my favorite episode of that was her Girl Scout Cookie episode. Time for my favorite part, reading the ingredients. I'll start with Thin Mints. Enriched wheat flour, parentheses, flour, niacin, reduced iron, thiamine mononitrate, riboflavin, folic acid, close parentheses, sugar, vegetable oil, shortening, parentheses, palm and palm kernel oil, close parentheses, cocoa, parentheses, processed with alkali, close parentheses, caramel color, high fructose corn syrup, salt, baking soda, soy less than natural, and artificial flavor. Oh, it says crispy chocolate wafers dipped in a mint fudge coating, which leads me to believe that the, according to this, the mint is only in the coating. Anyway, in light of the Bon Appetit controversy in summer 2020, Claire opted to not renew her contract with the publication as an independent video creator, uh, which probably was honestly a big blow to Bon Appetit as he arguably is one of their most popular personalities with a bit of a cult following. Anyway, later that year in November, her cookbook, Dessert Person, went on sale and she launched her channel, Dessert Person, uh, the next month with an episode on focaccia bread. This focaccia is not only easy, but it's so impressive. You have this incredibly crispy, delicious, like olive oily bottom, this crunchy top with flaky salt, and this super soft, holy interior, and I think will make you feel like you're this incredible bread baker when maybe you're still a novice because it really over delivers with the end result. Now, Dessert Person shows that her success at Bon Appetit was not due to only to the format of the show, but rather her personal charm as well as her authentic desire and enthusiasm to truly help people fall in love with baking. Her explanations are always clear while also not being super demanding, which you think wouldn't work for a discipline as exacting as baking, but which can take precise measurements and technique, but hey, it works. Now, Claire definitely shows her experience and knowledge for baking technique, not only explaining what you should be doing, but also why you should be doing, without veering into the super technical chemistry or science. After all, the best kinds of teachers don't only teach you what to do, but also the rationale behind doing so. She doesn't really claim that all her recipes are going to be universal or the you know standard for everyone, but rather her rationale for developing each recipe based on her own personal taste that went into the variation of the dish she wanted to make. For example, here's a clip of her describing the rationale of her corn bread recipe. This cornbread is sort of like the cornbread that my mom made growing up from the New Basics cookbook and it has a lot of savory things added so I decided to run in the opposite direction of southern cornbread and this is like a Yankee style loaded cornbread with tons of aromatics 
and it's so super delicious. Now, whether you're a fan of Claire from Bon Appetit or whether you're discovering her as a result of this podcast, definitely check out her channel and, of course, her book. Uh, it's just still hard to believe that this channel isn't backed by a major publication like Bon Appetit or her other work at the New York Times, uh, but it's literally from her own kitchen. You'll often see her cats running around somewhere in the background, um, at, but the production quality is just that good. Now, as far as specific episodes, in addition to the ones mentioned, one super easy recipe to try is her banana bread recipe. Banana bread... I think it's still having a moment because people, I think, were maybe a little enthusiastic and were trying sourdough and then realized maybe that's a lot to take on and settled on banana bread, which is a great sweet spot because it's easy and delicious and comforting, and that's what I'm making today. Alternatively, if you prefer, more, prefer a bit more out there episode, uh, she and her husband have a cabin upstate uh, where they actually are raising chickens, and they saw an episode up there, so you get to see her taking care of some chickens in that, after, and then she eventually makes an egg tart, uh, custard tart, using the eggs from her chickens. Cal brought four chickens, and they've been in the coop all night, and we're going to see if any of them laid an egg. I was thinking of what to make with my first fresh egg. Obviously something egg focused. So I thought maybe like a baked custard, like a creme caramel, because that is basically egg flavored. One of them might lay a blue egg. I knew nothing basically before yesterday, but Cal is my uh, chicken keeping guru. So I know that I can't keep him cooped up too long. I gotta let him out and run around. And they tilled the garden a little bit yesterday looking for food and I'm gonna feed him this morning. Now, the next YouTuber has been making food videos for nearly 10 years at this point, though I can only really say I fell into his stuff in the last couple of years, maybe last year or so after Rebrand. I'm talking about pro-home cooks. Being a pro-home cook is not about being the best at cooking. It's about being the best at providing food for yourself, for your friends, for your family. And to do that, we have to really nail down the art of meal prep because we're all busy and we can't just spend all day in the kitchen cooking food. So we need some strategy. We need some skills. And that's what today's going to be about. So Mike Greenfield, originally from Philadelphia, started cooking in college for a catering business to help make some money. After graduating, he moved to New York with his brother Josh, and one thing led to another, and they ended up making cooking videos for YouTube under the channel Brothers Green, highlighting their natural, brotherly dynamic between them. This included a YouTube-sponsored Hungry Channel series. Uh, eventually, they also made their way to MTV and appeared on the Food Channel show of Chopped. Now, while I wasn't actively following the channel at the time, they definitely had the most budget and setup-friendly cooking videos tied to the origins of cooking in college, which made this one probably one of the most accessible out there. Eventually, Joss would want to move on to more creatively other pursuits, originally being a musician, and Mike would take over the channel, renaming it to Pro Home Cooks. Uh, he moved into a studio kitchen in Brooklyn, which he built, where, he's, where there's a lot more space for him to do collaborations, somewhere in time in mid-2019, and that's where his videos still are today. So I think that's it. I know I've been rambling for... I don't know how long this video is, but that's the studio tour. Again, thank you to all of the sponsors, all of the brands that helped me out with this space. Um, all of the links to all of the products that I mentioned are gonna be below. Thank you to my patrons for supporting me in these early days of the studio build out process. And make sure you start hitting up your favorite food creators um, on YouTube, on Instagram. If you wanna see them in this studio, tell them about the studio, tell them about this space. Um, really this space was built for a few reasons, but one of the main things was collaboration. 
Of the titles I've talked about today, so far, his operates probably the closest to Babis's basic series, but even then there's a bit of a difference. Where Babis focuses more so on how to assemble the dish like a recipe, Pro Home Cook spends time each video to explore everything around the cooking process, from picking your ingredients to picking cooking equipment. He doesn't usually veer into super advanced techniques either, like Babis or Weissman might, instead opting for making simpler recipes well executed as they can be and as non-intimidating as they can be. Uh, because after all, there's more to cooking that, that, that makes the average home cook feel somewhat intimidated than just following the steps. Uh, his down-to-earth attitude really helps make these feel super approachable. Now, one thing that demonstrates this is his recent slew of air fryer videos. Myself, like many others during the pandemic, bought an air fryer for their convenience when it comes to cooking things such as fries or wings. But rather than simply rely on the presets, uh, Mike ended up going doing the prep work and exploring the different prep work you could do to elevate your fryer wings or fries with a few simple steps. Uh, these range from you know baking soda method to using flour breading, breadcrumbs, power boiling, cornstarch, and twice frying the ring wings. Uh, this video is actually what kind of turned me on and ended up subscribing to his channel. 45 seconds left at 380 for 15 minutes. Let's see where we're at. Whoa. Oh my God. I did not expect that. Today is a very exciting day for air fryer fans across the world because by the end of this video, we should have some answers. One of my favorite things to cook in an air fryer are chicken wings because they're super simple to make. You don't need any oil to get them super crispy and cleanup is a breeze. But there are so many different paths you can take to get a crispy chicken wing in the air fryer. And I'm not talking about different sauces or different flavors. I'm talking about techniques. And today I'm gonna be testing every single technique that I know of some that I've tried before, some that are brand new for me when it comes to air fryers. And hopefully by the end of this video, we shall crown the perfect air fryer chicken wing. Now you can tell in that clip that Mike is forever learning himself how to be a better home cook, and that really helps you feel like you're growing with him and that he's not too far out of reach. Uh, he also has a number of episodes focused on meal prep for the week, not in the macro counting sense, but just to, you know, how to make cooking less of a pain over the week and doesn't have to be the super daunting task you have to do from scratch each day. He'll also go out of his way to restaurants around him that specialize in the foods his videos are on uh, to figure out what he likes in those dishes before trying to emulate them at home. Now, for example, before he took over as Pro Home Cooks, he had a bit of a sandwich series, um, and I and this is one another video I actually saw of his um, by searching how to make a cheesesteak, where obviously it was about the Philly cheesesteak video. Obviously, as a Philly native, he had a lot of strong feelings, but he also took the time to go to gyms in, in, in Philly South Street, uh, which is my personal favorite cheesesteak, John, when I was went to school in Philly for college. Uh, and I ended up learning what goes into a classic cheesesteak there before, again, making it at home. This is Jim's at 4th and South Street. Okay. Uh, so we're known as Jim Steaks, Jim Steaks South Street, Jim South Street. Um, we are a famous steak and hoagie um, shop in Philadelphia and been here since 1976. And what has changed over the years? Not much. Not much. Yeah, not much has changed. We're a lot busier now than we were when we first opened up. But as far as changes to actual products or what we do here, nothing's really changed. Now, perhaps my favorite videos of his, though, are his listicle-style articles where he uses one disc prep in order to uh, provide a series of, of tips to aspiring home cooks that are all related. Um, so, for example, in his 10 cooking skills I wish I had known when, he had, when I had started, he made a braised sort rib to teach the importance of mission plus, dry brining, braising, caramelizing, using fresh ground spices, and layering flavors, among some other lessons as well. 
But the first tip is all about seasoning this cut of beef. And we're gonna be using a dry brine, which is something that I didn't know about when I was younger. Mise en place, basically having all of your ingredients in place, ready to go before you cook. The next skill is braising, which I'm sure a lot of you have heard of. Maybe some of you have mastered it, but for me when I was younger, I didn't really understand how braising worked. And we're gonna be moving on to the next skill, which is caramelizing. And I thought I understood it when I was younger, like I would stir fry some onions and they would get brown and they'd be delicious. But there are different levels to the game of caramelizing. Since taking over the channel, Mike has about 60 videos or so. Uh, going, they're going back to the Brothers Green days. They have you know some gems as well, and they're close to the 400 total videos. I've talked about most of the videos of his. I would recommend to start uh, from the newer days, uh, the air fryer videos, the listicle lesson videos with one central disc. But if you want to support him more, he does have a Patreon and also some online courses you can purchase from his site, um, not on his YouTube, including a focus on fermented projects like sourdough and kombucha. Now, the final foodie recommended for you this week is, like last week's final feature, a podcast as opposed to a YouTube channel. While technically not fully independent, as they are now part of the Stitcher Radio Network, the Sporkful still carries on that independent vibe. This is the Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. Hosted by Dan Passman and produced by the team of Emma Morgenstern, Andrew O'Hara, Jared O'Connell, and Tracy Samuelson, the tagline of the show is, as noted, not for foodies, not but for eaters, and where they talk about food to learn more about people. As that suggests, while all the conversations are certainly food-centric, they use this, they use it really as one central focus to really dive deeper, not into the food itself, but kind of into the elements around the food, and specifically about the humans who consume that food. Uh, the majority of the episodes are interviews with food-adjacent celebrities, Celebrities, be they Nadia Hussein, the winner of the Great British Bake Off, uh, on how winning the show helped her stake her claim as a Britain, British immigrant, to the author Michelle Zahner about her recent memoir Crying in Aismar, to actress Kumail Nanjiani and Emily V. Gordon about their relationship with feud since Kumail was cast in the MCU, to former presidential hopeful Julian Castro about the politics of food. There's several things about our original conversation, Kumail, that I think about often. And now I'm excited that Emily, you're, you're with us too, because one of the things that I think about all the time that you and I bonded over, Kamel, is that we're both have this thing where like if we get the slightest stain on our shirt, <laughs> I think Emily knows where this is going. <laughs> You're both totally cool with it and don't freak out. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I will say one of the very, very few upsides of quarantine is if you get something on your shirt. You can like change your shirt right now. You don't, you're not like stuck at a right. restaurant. 100%. <laughs> well, and it's funny, Emily, because when we had that original conversation, one of the things that Kumail and I also bonded over was the fact that when we get a stain on our shirt in public, we both immediately go to the bathroom, flood it with water, and then come out of the bathroom looking much, much worse than we did before. Oh, that's a, that's a regular occurrence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Emily says you're, so like, you're just bringing attention to it. Right, right. Yeah, he'll, he'll go to the bathroom and come back out like like he had fought a sea monster and, been like, <laughs> and lost. And I've always been like, Oh, you should have seen the other guy.
Some of the Sporkful episodes dive into the uh, sociology and anthropology for food. For example, an episode about using food to celebrate holidays that you're not ethnically a part of, such as a Chinese New Year celebration with no Chinese people present, or one of many episodes of theirs about race and food. Or how the gas industry is using the kitchen and gas stoves as a marketing campaign to try and stay relevant in the light of climate change. Or how regional differences between the same kind of food might come into play, a pork roll versus Taylor ham, for example, in New Jersey. Some of you are a bit more scientific also, such as what makes high-quality vodka different from low-quality vodka, or how the color of food affects how it tastes for you from a you know, psychological, gastronomical, scientific perspective. Some of my favorite episodes are the call-in episodes, where Dan often has a guest on, and they have listeners call in to tell them about their food-related conflicts in their lives. For example, the most recent one I can think of was about whether or not the oil and popcorn, after eating it, could be wiped into your hands like some oil moisturizer, or if it's be washed off, not even licked off, uh, which is really an exercise in just exploring communication about food opinions between two people, right? It's like, you know, this is a, you know, there's this central food issue, but really, this food issue is emblematic of some larger conversation within that particular relationship, which is, you know, always fun to, to see how that how it, it manifests itself. Hey, Dan, this is Eliza. I'm calling in from Portland, Oregon with my boyfriend, Connor. All right. What can we do for you? So Connor and I recently had an issue come to a head. I do this thing and I, I don't know how long Connor's known about it, but basically when I get oil on my hands from, I don't know, roasting potatoes, eating olives, eating popcorn. If there's not a sink nearby, I'll just kind of rub it into my hands, maybe get a little bit on my forearms. And the other day we were eating popcorn in bed and we were finished with the bowl and my thighs were available. And I just kind of rubbed my hands into my thighs. And that was, um, it was a problem. I was banished, told to wash my hands. (laughs) And uh, now we've been discussing whether or not this is an acceptable practice. Now, speaking of, you know, manifesting, uh, you know, food opinions within people, boy, does Dan have some song food opinions. Whether, you know, whether you should eat hamburgers cheese side up or cheese side down, the impact of surface area on food and whether or not a hot dog is a sandwich or not, he has them all. But all of these culminate in what might be Dan's magnum opus, a six-part miniseries called Emission Impossible. Now, frustrated with the prevalence of the inferior spaghetti pasta save, Dan set out on a three-year enterprise that would cost him tens of thousands of his own money to design uh, and prototype and eventually sell as his own shape of pasta. In fact, I've actually come up with three criteria by which I believe all pasta shapes should be judged. Ready? Number one. Forkability. 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 Yeah, that's right. We got sound effects. That's how important this part is. Forkability. How easy is it to get the pasta on your fork and keep it there? Number two, sauceability. 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 How readily does sauce adhere to the shape? Number three, the most important of all, tooth sinkability. Tooth sinkability. Tooth sinkability. How satisfying is it to sink your teeth into it? Spoilers, he ends up being actually successful, uh, creating the shape of Cascatelli that has a bit of a moment in the sun earlier this year at the novelty of it. Uh, bragging time a bit, I actually was in that first batch of Cascatelli orders that went out, uh, you know, sold out within a couple of hours, and I actually still have a box of that sitting in my pantry, waiting for the perfect time to use it. And it actually lives up to the hype. I would definitely recommend that this is the place to start with the Sporkful, even if it is a bit different than those standard episodes, as you really get a sense of who Dan is as a person. Um, and that, that who Dan is as a 
the person as a food lover really comes into play and does so success. You know, his enthusiasm of food, despite, you know, mostly being a background in public radio, signs through his work. I mean, I don't even skip the ad reads in his episodes because they're clearly just so entertaining with just how much he gushes about food. Uh, you know, uh, even though, you know, yeah, he's trying to sell you this food as that's part of the job, but the way he goes about it is just so entertaining and different than any other ad read I can I, I can think of out there. Um, plus, you know, he also puts his own twist on the ad copy and sometimes incorporated his own daughters into the episode, which is pretty cute. It's no wonder that the show ended up getting a James Beard Award, um, and yes, they also did an episode on who James Beard was. You know, plus they also tend to co-feature other food-related podcasts or food-related episodes from other podcasts, which is a great way to expand the other shows that you have in your listening network. Now, as far as supporting The Sporkful, they are part of Stitcher, um, and a lot of their older episodes are actually locked behind the Stitcher Premium paywall. So, you know, you could definitely support them by that way. Uh, in addition, they do have merch, and of course, you can also buy a four-pack of Cascatelli from their partners, Ferlini. Uh, just remember, always to eat more, eat better, and eat more better. I always wanted to say that. All right. Like I said at the top of the episode, this is only but the first episode of Recommended For You, where I'm going to look at food-related content creators. Food is such an integral part of our lives and part of my life, and it makes sense that there's a lot of creators making videos and podcasts about it. Uh, beyond providing substance, it really is a human endeavor, you know, a form of self-expression, a form of cultural connection, a way of sowing love for someone you care for, um, and yeah, there's always going to be content about the most human things out there. Hopefully this episode and the episodes of our guests didn't make food that, you know, it didn't make you too hungry, but hey, at least you know where to go to learn how to make dinner tonight. That's it for this week's episode of Recommended For You. Let me know what you think about these independent food creators. Who are your go-tos when you're looking up how to cook something? What are cooking content ideas out there that, you don't, seem to, that don't seem to exist out there at all? Is a hot, sandwich, a hot dog a sandwich or not? Uh, you can do all this at rex for you pod on Twitter or recommended for you at zemo.com. That's R-E-C-S-F-O-R-Y-O-U-P-O-D on Twitter. Or you can check out on the show notes. There'll be links to all of that, as well, all of the creators on this week's episode, as well as you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Leave a review or recommend this to your friend, and be sure to follow us on Twitter to get your daily content creator recommendations. And if you want to support me financially, you can do over, that over on Patreon. If you have a creator who you'd like to recommend to me, be sure to let me know. Uh, they may get featured in a future episode. Clips used in the show are property of the respective creators and music provided by Blue.Sessions. Editing productions provided by Ninja Boy Media. Next week on Recommended for You, while Binting Way Badness may explore food and film and recreating them, there are certainly many other creators out there focused on film analysis. I myself actually have a few movie-related podcasts myself. Uh, we'll dive into the world of film criticism and analysis in next week's episode. But until then, I'm Paulo, and this has been Recommended for You and may the algorithm always feed you the content you desire.